0: It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 207 for August 29th 2010. Recorded August twenty eighth. beside an open window. Open windows are kind of rare in Ohio. It's either too cold in the winter or too hot in the summer. So this is one of those really nice days. Window open, not a cloud in the sky. And speaking of clouds, everybody seems to be excited about cloud computing. Everybody at Microsoft, that is. And by way of hedging its bets, Microsoft offers its live service to compete with Google Docs and Zoho. The online, which is to say in the cloud services, continue to get better. But they still seem to be fairly faint copies of applications that run locally on a computer. This week we'll take a quick look at Zoho. When Zoho went live several years ago, there was little interoperability between the various applications. In fact, they bore little resemblance to each other. That has changed. Zoho now actually is a suite Zoho offers the most features of any similar application. A Documents tab shows documents of all types, and specific tabs exist for the calendar function, tasks, notes, contacts, text documents, spreadsheets, presentations, and online meetings. You'll also find a document viewer and a freeform notebook function. A lot of stuff in there. Zoho allows users to collaborate on documents and share them. The basic limited service is free. For $3 a month, you could increase your storage from one gigabyte to three and add several features that increase usability. Revision tracking, for example, secure connections, and the ability to upload documents in bulk and check-in control for documents. For $9 per month, you can have 15 gigabytes of storage, three users, and an admin console. For 10 users and 100 gigabytes of online storage, you'd pay about $40 a month. The problem is that features I count on in Microsoft Office aren't present when I view documents in Zoho. By way of an example, I keep track of upcoming programs in Excel. The current and following weeks are highlighted in orange. Past weeks are in green. Future weeks are in light orange. Completed program segments are shown in dark green, while segments I've started are in light blue. Anything not yet started is tan. When I imported this sheet into Zoho... None of the highlighting was present. I can still find the current and upcoming weeks by examining the dates, obviously, and I can tell the status of a program by simply decoding the status column, which is N for not started, S for started, and C for completed. But the color coding makes a quick review much faster and easier. And so it goes with the other applications. The basic functionality is present, but I depend on more than just the basic functionality. Zoho does offer a host of other features, some of which have a minimal charge. But Microsoft clearly hopes to continue to own your desktop by providing an operating system and applications that do everything you could ever possibly want, and probably a lot more than you'll ever need. By providing that huge range of features, Microsoft attempts to ensure that you'll find at least one relatively obscure function, like that color coding I just mentioned, that you can't live without. And of course, they hope that this obscure function is not present in OpenOffice, IBM Lotus Symphony, WordPerfect Office, Google Documents, or Zoho. And so far, that strategy is working. The bottom line, Zoho's suite is broad, but somewhat shallow. I give the Zoho suite three cats, which means it is a solid, functional application. Because of the price, free for individuals, I had considered giving it a 4CAT rating. The suite also includes far more than the basic word number and presentation applications. Although the feature set is probably adequate for most people most of the time, the limitations rule it out for some users. Regardless, Zoho should be making some of the folks in Redmond, Washington, more than just a little nervous. If you'd like to take a look at the Zoho suite, you can visit the website... And you'll find a link to the Zoho website from the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. Most people know that deleting a file doesn't really remove it from the computer. The file is simply moved to the recycle bin, and that's not quite entirely true either. The file stays exactly where it was, and its location is just noted as the recycle bin. Many people think that when you empty the recycle bin, the file is actually removed from the computer, but that's not the case either. Everything is still there. The file is simply marked as deleted. Recovering it is a relatively trivial exercise. That's why the military specification for securely eliminating data calls for the physical destruction of the disk drive. You probably don't need measures quite that extreme. You might consider using Eraser, a security tool for Windows that obliterates sensitive data when you delete it, not by moving the file to the recycle bin, but by writing selected patterns to the areas of the disk where the file resided. It works with any version of Windows, from XP as long as you have Service Pack 3, all the way up through Windows 7, both 32- and 64-bit versions, and it's free. The open source code is released under the GNU General Public License. You probably have some files on your computer that you would prefer not to share with others. If you bring files home from the office to work on, would the remnants on your computer's hard drive be a problem? Have you ever written passwords to a plain text file? Are you planning to sell your old computer or donate it to somebody? There are people who buy old hardware from anyone who's willing to sell it just to see what they can find. And frequently they find a lot. So even if you don't need a secure erase tool on a daily basis, you should use one before you sell or give away a computer or any kind of disk drive, or for that matter, any kind of device that is able to hold a file. Deleting files doesn't remove them. Formatting a drive doesn't overwrite the data. Only a program designed specifically to obliterate data will remove files that you don't want somebody else to see. Eraser makes this security problem much less of a problem it does so with ease. After you install Eraser, you'll notice two changes. First, a new icon will appear in the tray. That's because Eraser is always running, so it's available whenever you need it. Second, you'll have an Eraser option from the context menu when you right-click any drive, file, or directory. By default, Eraser uses what's called the Gutman method to securely erase drives, directories, and files. This is an algorithm devised by Peter Gutman and Colin Plum, it writes a series of 35 patterns over the region to be erased. Most of the patterns in the Gutmann method were designed for the older MFM or RLL-encoded disk drives. And because modern drives no longer use those technologies, some of the patterns aren't needed. They don't hurt anything, they're just no longer needed. For the bottom line on eraser? four cats. before you sell or donate a disk drive or a computer... Use Eraser. It's a free open-source application that simplifies the process of sanitizing a disk drive before you dispose of it. Although the process is not as certain as physical destruction of the drive, it's more than adequate unless you're involved in some sort of international intrigue that involves well-financed government security agencies. For more information, you can visit the Eraser website. You'll find a link from the TechBiter website. (laughs) If you store backup copies of some files on CDs or DVDs, you might be wondering how to render those files inaccessible when it comes time to discard the media. The answer is quick, and depending on the tools available to you, it might even be fun. Here's the fun method. If you have a paper shredder that can handle CDs and DVDs, your problem is solved. My paper shredder isn't powerful enough to shred a DVD, but the result is a clearly unusable disc. You can see a picture of one on the TechBiter Worldwide website. And then there's the not-quite-as-much-fun-but-just-as-reliable method. Just use scissors. Cut the disc into two pieces. Or, depending on how paranoid you are, more than two pieces. All that's really required is a very deep scratch, one that breaks through the recording surface from the back of the CD or DVD. By back, I mean the side you write on or print on, if it's a printable disc, or that you'd place a label on. Two or three deep scratches on this side of the disc will be nearly as effective as the mangling. A word of warning, though. If you are a member of the mafia, a terrorist, or some other unsavory person who might reasonably be expected to attract the attention of the FBI, the CIA, or the NSA, you'll probably also want to burn the remains. For most of us, though, what I've described is more than adequate. Have you noticed that spam seem to come in waves of similar design? Although I plan to discontinue using SpamArrest at the end of the year and use Postini instead, I have left the SpamArrest account enabled as I continue testing and becoming familiar with Postini. I no longer have SpamArrest collect any of my messages, so only messages sent to my SpamArrest username show up there. Even so, the mailbox still receives hundreds of spams per week. Many of the spams that Spamarrest picked up one day told me that somebody had died. Gwen Stefani, Brad Pitt, several times apparently, Angela Keyes, Tiger Woods, Tom Cruise, Miley Cyrus, Angela Jolie, Johnny Depp, and Jennifer Aniston. It must have been quite a day. Well, you won't be surprised to learn that I didn't open any of those messages. Post-Any is a bit smarter about what it shows me, and that's one of the reasons I'm midway through converting from one system to the other. Most legitimate messages sail right through the post device and land in my inbox. It did require a week's worth of training to get there, but it works very nicely now. A large number of spams can be clearly and definitively identified, and then they're simply deleted. I don't see them. What post shows me are the messages that seem suspicious but haven't triggered enough warnings to be deleted without review. So on the same day, the post any box suggested that several people I don't know wanted me to join LinkedIn. I am already a LinkedIn member, and I suspect this won't surprise you either. None of the people had made that request via the LinkedIn site. I continue to be concerned about spam. Not so much that people send it, because criminals will always do anything that's profitable. Anything. What does concern me is that enough people open messages that are obviously worthless at best, and possibly dangerous, without giving the action any thought at all. In short circuits, Google Voice lets you forward a phone number to your home phone or cell phone. You can even, more or less, pick your own number. I came up with this number for TechBiter. TechBiter 1. That's 832 429 8371. But now Google allows users in the United States to make free phone calls to any other phone in the US or Canada through Gmail. You don't even need a Google Voice phone number. I'll have a full review of the new service soon, but I can tell you this. All you need is a computer with headphones or speakers and a microphone. The quality of the calls is better than I expected it to be and it's easy to use. You will, of course, surrender even more information to Google, and that must be factored into that free price. Google says that calls to the U.S. and Canada will be free for at least the rest of this year, and calls to other countries will be billed at Google's usually low rates. For most countries, the cost is just two cents per minute. If you have a Google Voice phone number, even though you don't need one, but if you have one, calls made from Gmail will display that number as the outbound caller ID. You can also receive calls made to your Google Voice number inside Gmail. Google started rolling out the new feature earlier this week. The company says that it is now available to all Gmail users in the U.S., Analysts suggest that Google's new service is more likely to hurt Skype than traditional phone companies because the telcos started cutting their prices several years ago, responding to stiff competition. So how is this being accepted? Well, users made more than one million free calls during the first 24 hours that the service was available. Plug in a USB device and you may be opening the door to a worm. This week, a spider dropped down from the ceiling and crawled across my hand as I sat at the computer. Harmless. Later in the week, it was crickets. A coworker squished one of them, but I scooped up the other one and took it outside. Also harmless. But what about worms? Not so harmless. Panda Security says many business computers are infected every year by worms that arrive on USB devices. This is probably why some companies forbid the use of any USB storage device in the office. Panda Lab says about a quarter of this year's worms have been designed to spread through USB storage devices connected to computers. When the USB device is attached, the malware copies itself to any device that can store data. That could be a cell phone, could be an external hard drive, a DVD, flash memory card, MP3 player, whatever it finds connected to your computer. And then it spreads to other computers. Panda Lab's technical director, Louis Korens, says that replication is designed to be automatic and that most of the infections are invisible to the average user. I quote, This has been the case with many infections we've seen this year, such as the distribution of Mariposa and Vodafone botnets. Email is still the most common vector for malware, but USB-based transmission is increasingly a threat. Corrin says one of the reasons is that there are now so many devices on the market that can be connected via USB to a computer. So any digital camera, Cell phone, audio player, video player could be carrying a virus without your knowledge. Now there's a comforting thought. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.